0: everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 168. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today, a pair of special guest friends of mine. One you just heard here recently on the Thursday edition of the show, and a newcomer, his teammate over at the Ding and DeRosa podcast. Welcome, my friends, Michael DeRosa, Chris DeDinga. Boys, it is nice to finally have both of you on at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exciting to be here. I've uh, I'm making my first appearance on the ECB pod, so really excited. Been uh, been listening for a long time, so yeah, thanks, Josh.
2: Yeah, we've had this in the works for a little while, so it's good to finally make sure it happens. Uh, yeah, good to be here.
0: Uh, it's fun. Uh, Peyton was supposed to join us, I don't know. You know, people just disappear sometimes. So, But it's good to have you guys on. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. Before we do all that, though, as always, this podcast is presented in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. So, fellas, we had some big games yesterday. Rosa, we, we talked about on the Thursday edition where we started previewing. We're going to get into all that. But you know how we do it here. We like to open up with some housekeeping stuff. And uh, th- there's a couple items I want to talk to you guys about first and get your opinions on. The first being we recorded this right now on a Sunday as normal. To, later today, USC is going to be playing, and it's the expected debut of one, Bronny James. You know, the, he had the, the heart issue um, a few months ago, and we didn't know if he was going to get a play. And I don't think any of us cared. We just hoped the kid was healthy. But it seems like he's good to go for USC later this afternoon. So your guys' thoughts on Bronny not only getting to be back playing, period, but making his debut for USC today. And also i seen where, and I don't know if it's real, but some of these sites aggregated it. Some of the cheapest tickets across like StubHub, Ticketmaster, and stuff are like $20,000 to watch this kid play basketball for USC today. So I guess your guys' thoughts on all that.
1: Yeah, you know – um, it's exciting that he's back and, and I'm really happy for, for Bronny and their family. And I mean, really anytime someone comes back from a heart issue, that's a little bit scary. It's, it's great for the game. Uh, with that being said, I hope that everyone has their expectations in check. He's the third best backcourt player on the team. Um, if he went for 10 points today, I'd be thrilled. Uh, he's he's just not an offensive you know, scorer right now. That's just not where he's at. He's a great defensive player um, and, and he knows how to control a game pretty well, but he's just, he's not going to light up a, a score sheet. So I hope everybody understands that uh, just because he's back, doesn't make USC a top 10 team. He's not his father. Um, Bronny's a very good basketball player and I'm, I'm really happy he's back, but that, I mean, I don't know. I hope the expectations aren't too, too big.
2: Yeah, I think Chris covered it. Uh he's I'm so happy he's back. Like that's awesome. But also we have to keep in mind he is coming back and probably hasn't played a ton of like really like been in practices a ton till last couple of days or so. So he's probably coming off the bench. He's probably not gonna play too too much. And like USC's best three players are all on their backcourt. It's col right now, it's Collier, it's Ellis, and it's Kobe Johnson who's their three. So the minutes are gonna be tough to come by. It's gonna he's gonna ramp up slowly. I hope he's there, but yeah. Chris also mentioned it. he's a great defender and I think his best offensive skill sets is his passing ability. He's an excellent passer. He really like, he knows exactly where guys are supposed to be. He hits him in stride for easy buckets. Okay. So I hope they take their time, make sure he like really gets back into it and we don't like rush expectations on him too quick and he can really get there and really develop as the year comes on and just get more used to the game.
0: Well, with that being said, um, I mean, I've seen Brownie in person, his, I think sophomore year. Maybe it his freshman year. Seen him at AAU. LeBron was there. It was up in Indy. It was cool. Then you follow him through high school. And I always said he's a better shooter than his dad mm-hmm. as far as form, mechanics, and everything. He's got a little outside game to him. Um, but I, I'm full agreeance. He's a better defender, better athlete. I think he's an underrated rebounder when he wants to be. And I, I like what you said, DeRosa, about his passing vision. So what do we think about him? Not only today makes his debut today, gets his feet wet, gets him under him. But where do you think his minutes should lie heading into Pac-12 play at the beginning of January? You think he should stay between 12 and 16 minutes, maybe like 18 and 20, or maybe higher than that? What do you think he should do, and what do you think is going to happen as we head into Pack 12 play?
2: Well, if you got – rich paul is his agent right is the ron's agent it'd be rich paul and mm-hmm. lebron on andy enfield's phone saying hey my son's got to play more than 25 minutes my son's gonna play more than 25 minutes it's gonna happen
0: right that's a good point yeah
2: yeah that said i feel like like around the 20 plus minute range like i feel like you could honestly run lineups in the pac-12 against everybody but arizona pretty much with collier brawny and boogie on the floor and i don't think it would hurt you in any way not even not size wise or anything like that collier's like 6'5", too. collier's big so i really think they could really just run those four guards out in whatever order they want and i think they'd be fine so yeah i think around like the 20 minute mark that makes sense
1: yeah um boogie shouldn't really leave the game he should yeah. play 37 38 minutes collier should play you know around the same so then the remaining minutes of that, uh, you know, that third backcourt spot or should be split pretty evenly, I think, between Kobe and and, uh, and Brian James. So if it ends up being 20, 15, whatever, um, that's great. Uh, but once again, he's just he's not going to be remotely near the best player on the floor at any time. So I hope I don't know. I hope he his his minutes don't just inflate because of who he is i hope they play him according well to you know the that's going to happen
0: up. though yeah. yeah you know that's going to happen though at some point the usc is about to get like this huge influx of two types of people one lebron fans just buying a ticket hoping that they're going to be in the same building as him maybe they can get a picture autograph or something two okay. lebron fans who will follow UFC now because it's brought or lebron's son and hope that he's going to be the next coming of LeBron, which is not fair. They're completely different players. Like, LeBron's a one-of-one, one, even his offspring. Like, go look at Jordan's sons, right? And, and in, in a vacuum, Jordan's sons were not bad players. Jeffrey Jordan better, barely played for Illinois. He was a lefty. Michael was a big righty. Michael was more athletic. Jeffrey was more of a skilled guard. He barely played for Illinois. Now, Marcus was pretty damn good for UCF when he played. And then he didn't play his senior year. He decided not to play. But his junior, sophomore, junior years, he was a good player. He kind of looked like Michael, but he's not Michael. So it's the same way with LeBron's kids, right? You can't expect him to be like it. He's going to be his own player. Uh, but I'm happy to see the kid back. I'm excited to see what he can do for the rest of the year because if he's playing at his best, it absolutely helps USC. It will help them because he brings something different to that team. That to be honest, they're you know, they they've had their issues. I don't think they've been as good as we thought. But at the same time, they've got a high ceiling once everybody's back and everybody's clicking. Um, I want to talk about something else that's happened this week. Um, To me, you know, it reminds me of, if you go back to when we were kids, the Little Mermaid, right? Ariel, it's a whole new world, right? Because Naquan Tomlin, we've covered this when he got suspended, when he took an indefinite leave of absence, according to Jerome Tang. Well, this past week, it came out that he has entered the portal and is immediately eligible in January because he's about to graduate in the next week or so. The reason I say it's a whole new world, because when in the hell have we seen in this world of NIL and transfer portal, a guy like Naquan Tomlin be eligible in January to basically be recruited by the rest of the country? That can be an immediate impact for conference play in the second half of the year. This is a, to me, I don't know if I've seen too many stories like this, so it's unprecedented. What the hell do you guys make of this Naquan Tomlin deal?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, I feel like there have been like a couple of times over the last few years that there have been guys who transfer mid-year and can just kind of play, but no one nearly as good as Naquan Tomlin. Like Naquan Tomlin, I when we were previewing Kansas State, everyone was talking about how Kansas State's just like a one-two punch. It's just Perry and Kaluma, and it's I was like, Tomlin's pretty good, and they're going to need him to be really good because those two guys are not Marquise Noel and Def Arthur Columbus is not Keontae Johnson. He's just not. So I really thought they needed a lot from Naquan Tomlin. So seeing him go down or just not play this year was something. And then this whole process has been weird. Like Kansas State, it, just seen some stuff on the interwebs on it. It's just like I have no idea what's going on. But, yeah, it's weird. And But one thing I wanted to mention is there are two teams I'm looking at that I think should really go after Naquan Tomlin. I think it's Memphis because you just lose Jordan Brown and all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. David Jones goes down. And Gonzaga's really not deep at all. I feel like Gonzaga, I feel like those are the two teams that really go after him. However, there's no inside information to that. I'm just guessing.
0: (laughs) No, I'm with you. We'll talk about Gonzaga when we review some of these games and they need depth, anybody. Front court, back court, doesn't matter. They just need guys. Chris, your thoughts on this? Yeah, let's also keep in mind
1: that he'd be playing his first game and getting you know, acquainted with his teammates for the first time at the beginning of January. Um, it's really hard to just step into a new program and, and be ready to rock. And he's not an all-star to begin with. He's a good player that was a benefit of a fantastic situation with two all-stars last year. Uh, I don't think, I mean, he, he's fine, but I don't think he'll have a, you know, unbelievable impact wherever he goes. He, he should be a bench bench piece somewhere that Needs depth, like you said. Gonzaga, I think Kansas could work. Maybe West Virginia too. But um,
0: oh my god, you imagine if he went from Kansas State to Kansas in the middle of the year, and then had to come back and play K State twice? Yeah. <laughs> you talking yeah. about storylines now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, like I, I mean, it, I don't think he'll have an unbelievable impact just because it's really hard to step into a rotation with almost you know n- no time in the middle of January
0: that's a great point um trying to get up to speed but you know there's going to be teams out there like we've talked about in a way like a gonzaga a memphis or one of, maybe even a mid-major who thinks that they're right there on the bubble of being an ncaa tournament team and are going to look at him and be like this kid's talented he's experienced it won't take long to get him up to speed you know he'll be good in our system right it's kind of like the deal with you you know somebody that's um with somebody like a a girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, and like, yeah, they got a bunch of red flags, but with me, they're going to be different. It's going to (laughs) be different with me. Right. So somebody's going to take a flyer on him and it could pan out. It really could, but that's a great point about, you know, it's going to take time to get up to speed with the different coverages and plays and all that stuff that this team wants to run. But it's just, it's an interesting deal that somebody of his nature is going to be immediately available come January for somebody to add to their team, which is really, really interesting. Speaking of really interesting, DeRosso, you know, you were on with me last Thursday when I did my SEC re-ranks and I gave my criteria for it. Well, I said this Sunday we were going to do the Big East. And what a better time to re-rank the Big East after the first month of the season than have two men on that cover a lot of Big East basketball. So I'm going to let you guys take it away. Tell me your re-ranks of what you've seen the first month of the year from these teams inside the Big East Conference. Place them and tell us why. So I'm going to let you guys take over on this, and I'll ask questions. All right, Chris. Uh, I'll just re
2: – I'll go bo- bottom to the top. You tell me where you have each team. Uh, we'll start 11, DFL, as I like to call it, which is, stands for dead, blank last. I think you can guess what the middle stands for. Give you a hint. <laughs> fucking dead fucking last fucking Uh, yeah dead fucking last (laughs) it's DePaul you have DePaul here right
1: it is DePaul uh they just don't really have a pulse they beat Louisville and that's great they're undefeated with Jalen Terry playing hey um but uh no they're they're terrible I don't know that program long way to go
2: Yeah, uh, however, that was good for my proclamation I made on our show that Kenny Payne would be a minus 500 favorite to be first coach fired. Stubbs was really coming for that, but I think winning that game makes me look like, all right, maybe I'm back.
0: Let me pop in real quick. Um, I've seen this, completely forgot about it. One of the Louisville counts yesterday tweeted, you want to hear the, the word irony? When it came time to DePaul hire a coach two seasons ago, their two finalists was Tony Stubblefield and Kenny Payne. (laughs) and now look at the programs being led by both go ahead
2: yeah DePaul they need a major rehauling we'll we'll definitely talk about that in the offseason uh at 10 I was between two teams I think there's two like very definitive teams here on one hand Georgetown lost to Holy Cross on the other hand Seton Hall has looked really bad in their step-ups And Georgetown of these teams, Georgetown looked best like against a good competition because they should have beat TCU, who is a who was a borderline top 25 team veteran this week. That said, Georgetown lost to Holy Cross. I have Georgetown at 10.
1: (laughs) I uh, yeah, I went the other way. It's definitely in that order, but I have um, or, or those two teams, but I have Seton Hall 10th. They're. It's Kadari Richmond, and then everyone else for them. I think Georgetown is a little bit more balanced and, and has maybe a higher ceiling, just because Jaden Epps can be an all-star. But uh, yeah, it, there's really not a whole a whole lot of difference. Yeah.
0: How much does that pain you as a Hoya to know that you're still I, at the bottom?
2: Yeah. Honestly, I'm so with Cooley, and this we can get really inside basketball here. There was like so in the very beginning of the transfer portal, like probably first like week or so of like players like actually committing they brought in epps brumbaugh and styles they brought in those three you already had guys who were going to stay which was a cook who ended up leaving heath bristol fielder already transferred over so you really had those like core seven guys that you were going to come in with for this season then Cooley just kind of spent a month or month maybe even like a month and a half just really recruiting high school ball and in that like six weeks time, the only time, the only guy they got to Georgetown was Ishmael, And he committed fairly like late in that time, but like they ended up getting a pretty solid high school class coming in for next year. Um, Drew McKenna, who uh, was, who is reclassing to this year to practice with the team in the second half of the semester, he will red shirt, but he is coming to the team. Uh, he was a top 100, top 75. I think kid in that class, good shooter. Uh, Thomas Sorber, I think is a legit top 30 big, uh, Kevin Mulready committed over. And then you got Caleb Williams, a local kid who goes to Sidwell. So there was just kind of like this long time where Cooley just didn't like recruit the portal at all. He was just like, look, I'm getting guys in for next year. We'll do we'll roll with whatever the hell we can for this point. So like, I wasn't too surprised by it, but there's potential with this team. They're a really good shooting team. They didn't show it yesterday, but this is a really good shooting team. They, I, they're a team that could go 40% from three on any given night, 50% and shock someone. But at the same time, they play no defense and their interior play is terrible. Seton Hall also has bad interior play, so the weaknesses kind of
0: align. But yeah, I, I'm going to start it now. Naquan Tomlin to the Hoyas, following his teammate Ish Masood from Kansas State. He's going to build that pipeline, just taking Kansas State people who's been in that system for a while. I'm just, I'm going to put that yeah. out there. It
2: would make sense. I don't know if Cooley wants to just decide to like pull someone if he really wants to like build something. Uh, that's a thing because like they really didn't. As soon as a cook left, they didn't try to bring anyone in. Like there were a couple guys in the portal. They didn't talk to anyone. They didn't talk to a single person. So, that, that'd be my one uh, qualm with that. Yeah. But anyway, we hit so, 8. Uh I feel like there's like a definitive tier really from like 4 to 8 you can move these teams in almost any order. I went with Xavier at 8. Um I think they've I like lost that. two by games. They've looked fairly bad. They looked good yesterday against UC. That was definitely their best game they've played in a while. But they lost to Delaware, they lost to Oakland, and frankly got almost they got outplayed in both games. Like they were losing those games wire to wire. Uh they did beat St. Mary's earlier in the year, but I, I you can't put a team up there that's lost two by games in my mind.
1: Yeah, I have Xavier as well. Uh Quincy Olivari has been one of the better Big East players in OBPR on Evan mile. He's been really solid. Once Jerome question for both of you, once Jerome Hunter comes back and it sounds like he will now, um, what's the ceiling for them in the big East? Can they get up to the you know, top four ish area when their mm-hmm. best player returns?
0: I'm going to be stubborn. I- I'm going to be stubborn on Xavier because in the magazine, the ECB magazine, I-, I was in charge of the big East and I wrote about Xavier. And at the time I knew about the, you know, we were assuming Hunter wasn't going to be there and, um, Just escaped my mind. The other big Fremantle. uh, Fremantle. Fremantle. So I wasn't high on him. I loved Oliveri because I seen him play at Rice. And shout out to our our friend over the head coach at Rice, Scott Para, who coached him, talked about him on this show, about how he helped him get into Xavier. He made the phone call to Sean Miller, told him what kind of character he was. That worked out well. So shout out Coach uh, Para for that one. But. I just, dude, where's the scoring going to come from? Oliveri's been tremendous. Hunter is going to help in the interior anchor down some stuff. But I still look at Xavier and think, where the hell is the scoring going to come from on a night in, night out basis? And for that reason alone, I think at their best, they could get to like five, but not top four.
2: I'm not so sure Hunter comes back this year. I think they just let him practice. And I mean, okay. maybe he stays the extra year. I would think. If you want, I think if he just wants to come back and then go pro, I think that makes the most sense because it'll be like 27,000. Uh, he'll be old is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but like I, best player? Yeah. I he, he's so. not. He's not. He's not he better than all the players.
1: last year. But not,
2: yeah. He averaged well, like eight and five. Like there was a reason they were running him off the bench.
1: Well, the reason they were running him off the really bench is because they couldn't play Nungi, Fremantle, and him together. And then when Fremantle that went down, terrible. he wasn't coming off the bench.
0: I if mean, you have played and, those three bigs together, especially with some guards like Marquette has, they would have got railroaded by 50. Yeah.
2: And what? None of their bigs this year can shoot. Like, they got the international kid. I think Djokovic is the best of the international kids they brought in. I think he's solid. Namiksha and Gianni, I think, are the other two. They're not good. So, like, I think them. it'd be interesting to see them try to run Hunter at the five. I think that would be, like, kind of like a zag when everyone zigs type deal. But don't think he really moves the needle on this team that much, honestly. Um, What I maybe not honestly, for what I've seen this point in the season, I don't think I'd move them up above eight. If Hunter comes back. Really? I don't think I would.
1: I think they could pass two teams. We'll get to them. I assume you have the same two, but to recap, yeah, in some order, the, the bottom four are DePaul, Seton hall, Georgetown, and Xavier moving into seven.
2: Michael. At seven, I went with the team that I definitely expected more from the preseason, both at seven and six. Uh, But with this team specifically, they just haven't shown any of the highs that I've expected this year. Like their best wins is at a team that is at the bottom of the Big 12 and on a neutral in a game they probably should have lost over North Texas. I got St. John's at seven right now. They have not impressed me. I think the long time they've got off, I think will help them get better and you get RG Luis healthy, but they're they this team is not as good in the backcourt as I expected. They would have been, there've been some like disorganized and Chris Ledlam hat needs to be a lot better. He has had a rough season.
0: you watch watched since CNN, uh, Charleston class Sorry, Chris, you watch no, yeah. Charleston classic and we all had high expectations for this kid. Right. He did not look great. I think he had one game, and maybe it was the Utah game where he started to hit a little bit. But, yeah, I'm with you. He's fallen well below expectations.
1: There is a a floor cap when you have someone as dominant down low as Soriano. Um, So I think they can't really fall lower than seventh to me just because he's legitimately a first-team All-Big East guy. Uh, Since they lose to Michigan um, uh, on November 13th, they're what, five and one with their only loss coming against Dayton on a neutral. They have wins in that time over North Texas, Utah, West Virginia. That's not bad. Like it was gonna always take a little bit of time for Patino to figure things out with this roster. I think he has a little bit. Uh they've looked a lot better. Um, this is still an NCAA tournament team to me.
2: Yeah, I wanna see. How I would they agree look with bad. that.
0: I I would agree with that.
2: I think it's going to take them some time. I think they'll be. I think if we do this exercise again in about a month and a half, I think I'll have them higher. Uh, but just for now, I haven't seen a ton of them. Uh, Who do you have at seven, Chris?
1: Uh, I had Butler at seven. Oh, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: fuck you.
1: They've been good. Like they've right? done what they've done. What they're supposed to do, but I mean, they're what they they just went to double overtime against Cal. Uh, their only other really good win was against Texas Tech and also, I think, double overtime, right? Single. Single overtime, okay. They got their doors blown off by uh, Michigan State. They lose against Florida Atlantic, their two actual tests of the year. Um, Yeah, you can win against SEMO and ETSU and what? uh, who's their opener, Eastern Michigan. You can win those games by 78 points, and that's awesome. That's fun. Um, and that, That only helps your net ranking. I don't really give a shit if you win by 40 or 20. Um, they need to prove it against really good teams to me.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism, honestly. Butler hasn't looked great against – well, I thought they played pretty well in the FAU game, at least offensively. If they could grab a single fucking rebound, they win that game. And we're talking about this team very differently. Uh, That said, they've also beaten Boise State and Penn State. Penn State just went – did they go on the road and beat Ohio State yesterday?
0: I thought Ohio State won that one. Penn State won. They were down 18 or something. It's a crazy step back. OK, OK, that's interesting, because when I seen it and turned it off, Ohio State was up big. And I was like, oh, yeah. that one's over. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, Penn State came back and won like so. these teams got good wins and they've looked good against that level of competition. I think Cal is a lot better than the record says this year, because like they look different with Keontae Kennedy back. They didn't have another guard. They really needed that. And Keontae Kennedy, I think, is like crucial to how that team's going to operate. And as they get IMAC, Tyson, learn to play together. They looked a lot better yesterday. They looked a lot better than they did early season when they uh, took San Diego State to overtime. And when they smoked a decent Santa Clara team. I think Cal's better than um, we, better than they looked earlier in the season. That could be just me being stubborn because I like this team a lot entering the season. But I honestly think Cal's better than they looked early season. And Texas Tech, yeah, I think Butler needs to figure it out defensively because in those two games you mentioned uh at, that both at home would be Texas Tech and Cal, Butler's given up 27 threes and opponents are shooting 45% from deep. Uh that's not you're not going to win a lot of biggies wow. games doing that. You're going to have to defend the line. Especially like when we look at the two teams I had on the bottom, uh DePaul and Georgetown. Those are both they do not do a ton well. Both are really good shooting teams. DePaul I think is shooting 39% from 3 before I looked. I that's not including yesterday's game. Georgetown's around like the 37 mark so I think I had to find the three-point line better but I had Butler at five I had them over the team
1: one to- other one other quick thing on Butler and this is I mean such a small sample size but I turned on the game against Buffalo they ended up winning the game,
2: the worst game they played.
1: but I, I mean and that's it was one of the only Butler games I've watched I've only watched a couple of them um but but I watched for I turned it on in the second half they were winning by quite a bit. but I was like, yeah, let's see what they got. And they didn't score a basket for almost seven minutes, almost seven against Buffalo. Who's the 323rd ranked defensive team on Ken Good teams. Don't do that. You can't not score against Buffalo for six and a half minutes. Um, yeah. So I, I, that, that also goes into it for me.
2: So since I, I, follow this team very deeply, I can tell you like more background and like give an excuse almost. Uh, but you're right. That is like fairly inexcusable. But that was coming off of you co- go to the ESPN Events Invitational. You go 2-1, and one, play FAU Tough. Then the next game, a couple days later, I think it was like four days later, you have Texas Tech and Hinkle. That was like a really big, like, huge spot. And it was a game Butler really needed to win. And they did to prove, like, you're actually, like, legit. Like, you still can make the tournament. Um, then they didn't practice, like, or do anything for two days. That gave them two days off. And it was just like, look, you guys have done a lot. Don't You don't need to come to the gym or anything. Just like regroup, like get your energy back. We'll see you in a couple of days. So they definitely came out slow against Buffalo. I think partially because of that. Uh, but yeah, um, that was a, that was a bad
0: spot. And that was the worst game they played all year. I don't think that's honestly debatable. So where are we at? Where well, are we at five or six? Just do them both then. Just do, give us your five and six teams here then. Yep.
2: At yep. six, I have Nova. Um, I think we'll talk about Nova more, but weird, weird team. And then at five, I have Butler.
1: Okay. Uh, I had yeah, so I had St. John's at, or uh, Butler at seven, St. John's at six, uh, and then I had Villanova at five. Um, Villanova, did you guys watch the UCLA game yesterday? I did,
0: I did. The end of it, yeah. That's all I got. Um, Ten minutes. I've seen Housen get hot there. I've seen <laughs> Brendan Housen get hot, and uh, but Villanova. So I'll, I'll interject here as well. Villanova is so weird because when they're playing well and they're hitting threes and they can control the tempo, they can be almost anybody in the country. That's just the way it is. But when they don't play that well, and I'm talking, even if they play like their B minus game, there's a good chance that they lose no matter who they play. We've seen that with Penn. We've seen that with uh well, in that big five, right inside Philadelphia, Philadelphia. they didn't win a game. They didn't win a game. St. Joe's ran them out the building, hitting threes, Penn hit threes on them. So when they play, not their a game they can literally lose to anybody but when they hit and play well last night like they did against ucla they can compete with almost anybody in the country so i don't think there's too much of a middle ground for villanova which scares the hell out of me watching them go forward
2: yeah yeah. like it it wouldn't surprise me if DePaul wins a game if it's somehow against villanova like i feel like that's just within the range of outcomes uh at the same time nova's incredibly talented but I don't know
0: if they're the best coached team to put with it lightly. you. I'm, I'm with you 100%. 100%. There
2: are just some things this team does that it's just like, what are you doing? Why? Like, against a 2 3 zone, you have Tyler Burton on the floor. Who, it, who? I don't know if there are many guys better in the country to put better at the high post than Tyler Burton. That dude can do everything from there. He has such a high basketball IQ, and he will hit guys in the right spots, or he'll just turn around and knock down a jump shot. I mean, he would do everything you need. Yet with Tyler Burton, they've got him. You guys remember Tyler Burton at well Richmond? Excellent yeah, getting course. downhill. You shot like twenty nine percent from three last year. They have him shooting more threes a game than twos. Yeah, that's it, we'll basketball, baby. That's not how you use him, though. That's that's not how he's used. They have they switch everything on the perimeter and they did that all game against St. Joe's. St. Joe's got two guards that, like, I mean, they'll play professional ball. One of them might even be able to make the NBA, honestly, like just play spot minutes in the NBA.
0: What's Martin, almost like Villanova? On him. It's almost like Villanova didn't watch the Kentucky game against yeah. St. Joe's, where okay. it took a Herculean effort to stave them off. St. Joe's, we'll talk about them at some point down the road, but. They're a team that could be very scary if they sneak in the tournament. Very yeah. scary.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Villanova five for you, Chris, and you had Nova where Michael? Adam six. Six. Okay. So the top four, I think everybody pretty much agrees in some order. This top four. So tell me your top four in that order, because I have an idea of my own, but I do want to hear your guys' top four, how you're ranking them.
2: So I'll go first, Chris. I went Providence, Creighton, UConn, and then at number one, I have Marquette. I assume okay. you have UConn at one.
1: I do. I have UConn at one in the Big East, at one in the nation, at one in the world. I love UConn. I think but they're, they're not fantastic. good in Arizona. Fuck off. I think all. they are. I think they're they are. not.
2: Did you watch Arizona beat the breaks off of Wisconsin yesterday?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. They beat the Breaks off of Wisconsin. Let's pause and, and, and see if that's the bar we want to Wisconsin beat the go. Breaks
2: <laughs> off of Virginia, a team that you think is, like, top five in the country.
0: Well, well in favor, five. though, Providence beat the hell out of Wisconsin, too. So, by that, Providence is better than UConn, right? I mean, and
1: Providence is better than Arizona, or just as good.
0: No, Arizona beat him by, so, like, 50.
2: Providence beat him by, like, 20.
0: So, here's the thing. I, I agree. For mine, Providence was four. I am highly impressed with what Kim English is doing early days at Providence. Um, I I think they're, I think they're playing well. Of course, Bryce Hopkins being back helps out a ton. Devin Carter is playing better than I thought he would. I, I, I mean, I watched a kid play for multiple years at South Carolina and he was a good player, but he went to Providence and turned himself into a legitimate borderline star there. I did not expect that. I always knew he was a great defender, offensive side of the game. I still don't think he can shoot that great. But he finds ways to score points other ways. Um, And then the big three. I don't trust Creighton as much as everybody else, and I've said this, because of their depth. Their depth is killing them. They have a a strong five, an okay six, and then once you get to seven and eight, it it dies, in my opinion. And I think that's going to hurt them significantly moving forward. To me, it's UConn and Marquette. I don't care what order, UConn, Marquette. I favor UConn slightly more because they're the defending champs and they look like they're just steam. Outside the Kansas game where they still almost won, they're steamrolling teams. And I think when it comes down to it, if Marquette, when they play, if Marquette does not hit outside shots, if Oso Igodara does not pull their bigs away from the rim and they can't get into the lane to get paint touches to then kick out, UConn's going to bully ball the hell out of them. And, Bull, and UConn has the biggest identity. Like, they know who they are more than anybody in the country. They're going to play physical. They can hit the outside shot. Not at a great clip, but they can hit it when they need it. They have tremendous guards, and they play harder in hell. UConn knows themselves better than anybody in the country, so that's why I favor them slightly over Marquette in the Big East. Yeah, you know, does
1: this agree with that? Spot on to me, Michael, what, uh, what you would, wait, do you have Marquette first? Is that what you said? I have Marquette first. Yes, sir. So what's the difference for you?
2: I think honestly, when we're watching the games, I think the best players on both teams are the point guards. I don't think that's really debatable. I think it's Tyler Kolick versus Tristan Newton. Tristan Newton's been playing at an all American level. He has been absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible. He has been so much better than I expected him to be this season, but I still tend to think Kolick's a better player. I think Kolick might just be the best point guard in the country. And I think when it comes down to the rest of the roster, I think Marquette's more together. I think with UConn, we're still getting guys back. Like you're still, we're still haven't seen Stefan Castle at full health yet. He's still coming back. Uh, We still need to like, see these guys. I feel like there's still some more growth and I feel like the Kansas game, Newton just kind of went off. And I think that's part of why they were able to keep it so close and could have honestly won that game, which I was not expecting, but I still have some questions with how this team fits together when they're fully healthy. And I still feel like there's like, aside from Spencer, I guess in Caravan too, I don't know if they have like a real consistent outside shooting threat. Like I still don't think Newton's a great shooter. I still have some questions with this team that I want answered. Um, it's probably out of a little bit of stubbornness because I had them like eighth to 10th in the country and everyone else didn't. So that's probably what it is. But I still have some questions I want answered with this team. And I still feel like there's like another test or two I want to see them uh, face. Versus
0: Marquette, so I thought they looked really good Maui. And I love Marquette. Like, to me, and I've said this, Marquette is the final form of what Kentucky is trying to be and could very well end up being. Marquette is kind of that final. If you're talking like Pokemon, right, it's like Marquette is like Charizard. And then Kentucky is, what, what was the next one outside of Charizard? I forgot. But Charmander. it's like that next level. Yeah. Of Charmander, thank you. I don't know so how Kentucky's, I knew <laughs> Kentucky's Charmander Marquette's Charizard, they're the same. Kentucky is trying to take that next evolution. I love Marquette's team, but I think UConn knows themselves and are really, really talented. And real quick, the last thing I'll say on this, Tristan Newton's not the greatest outside shooter. Like if he's shooting 23s per game, he's hitting four of them, five of them, right? Whatever. But he is a streaky shooter, a la Shabazz Napier was for UConn when they won the title, meaning if he sees one or two go in, no matter how it goes in, that percentage goes way up as opposed to him just spotting up shooting. Does that make sense? Yeah. He needs to see a couple. Yeah. He's a rhythm shooter. He needs to see a couple go in. All of a sudden, the percentages go up because all of a sudden, he can't miss Ally at Kansas. Um, so what we're going to do now, that was a great re-rank. I love that. What a better time to do the, the Big East re-ranks after a month and having a couple Big East guys with me. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break in the action. We're going to play some ads here. You're going to hear from our friends over at Shot Quality Bets, Eve, or everything pro wrestling, all that. Then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the games from Saturday. There were tremendous games. One in particular is already in the running for potential game of the year in the first month of the season. A lot of stuff. A couple top 25 teams go down and more. You're listening to Everything College Basketball, episode 168. We'll be right back after a minute. College basketball fans, I've got a question for you. Are you looking to score big with your basketball bets and analysis? Well, ShotQualityBets.com is your go-to source for data, picks, and predictions that are a cut above the rest. With their state-of-the-art computer vision and AI, they analyze the game like no one else, providing you with unique data that's crucial for making informed decisions. ShotQualityBets takes the hard work out of betting by matching their highly accurate predictions with the current betting lines, making it a breeze for you, to place winning wagers and the best part you can start this winning streak right now with the everything college basketball exclusive code of ecb for 10 percent off your first month simply visit shotqualitybets.com backslash welcome to sign up and jump into the action it's that easy shotqualitybets.com where data drives your analysis to the next level
3: What's going on, Everything College Basketball listeners? It is Conrad Cushman here from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show... By the fans, for the fans Where we talk pro wrestling every single week Our current schedule is Mondays live at 6.05 We have Clash of the Podcast for myself and my co-host Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Go live to talk all the latest and greatest In pro wrestling On Wednesdays we are live after AEW Dynamite a little after 10pm Eastern Standard Time On the Everything Pro Wrestling YouTube channel as well Make sure you guys come on over If you guys are fans of All Elite Wrestling And we do cover some of the pay-per-views that happen over the weekends. Keep your eyes peeled for when we have those available as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to us talk about our schedule. Let's get back to my good friends over at Everything College Basketball.
0: Huge shout-out to Conrad Cushman, the team over Everything Pro Wrestling. Uh, I say it all the time. We're heading into Royal Rumble season, WrestleMania season. For those who love pro wrestling, like I always have, it is a fun time. Go hit up Conrad over at EPW. You'll find some of the best content over there possible. And shout out to ECB's title sponsor this year over at shopqualitybets.com Use our promo code ECB for 10% off your first month. Incredible website with all the data you can find. I love their... The breakdowns of good shot, bad shot, turnover percentage, corner three-point catch-and-shoot, points-per-game breakdowns, and so much more. Head over to ShotQualityBets.com. Use that promo code. Get 10% off your first month. Fellas! It was an incredible slate yesterday, on Saturday. Incredible. And I want to start at the top with that game in Toronto, Canada between the number 3 in ECB number 4 in AP ranked Purdue Boilermakers and the unranked Alabama Crimson Tide what i mean i'm trying to find the like the words and the adjectives to describe this one but it was beautiful chaos is the only way i can describe it purdue wins 92-86 in a just a shootout what this tell you about purdue the fact that alabama by All accounts is has everything that is a Purdue weakness. Athletic guards, they play fast. They shoot a ton of threes that can pull E.D. away from the rim. They're physical when they need to be. And Purdue withstood that and put 92 up on Alabama. So what's this tell you about Purdue? And then what's it tell you about Alabama coming out of this?
1: Yeah, on the Purdue side, it's almost impossible not to foul them. Uh, They shot 28 more free throws. It seems like they shoot 20 or more every single game. Uh, Zach Eadie is just impossible to guard one-on-one like you can't not foul him or else he'll just I mean will make him an easy basket so uh, Purdue was almost like kind of a hack to get to the free throw line and, and so it's just really hard um, and then teams will get in foul trouble and everything like that uh, Mark Sears had 35 at his best game he'll play this year and Alabama still lost so I I don't know what that says about Alabama but Purdue is really really good
0: Bama, yeah, think, nineteen of, DeRosa, Bama's 19 of 46 from three at halftime. They were 13 of 25, and it's not like they got bad looks. I think pretty much all their shots in the second half were wide open threes that they got off dribble penetration or slipping a guy out from a screen. They just didn't hit in the second half like they did in the first.
2: I think my big note would have been, Bama, you said they took 46 threes. They took 18 twos. They were just launching them from deep. I mean, they were fucking right. Yeah. Yeah. They took that's 18 insane. twos. They had 64 total shots.
0: That's the NATO way, man. Yeah. That, that's
2: got to be one of the craziest splits we're going to see all season. Yeah. yeah but you mentioned Sears. He was eight to 16 from deep. But yeah. You mentioned how Bama has a lot of like, or uh, presents a lot of troubles to Purdue. At the same time, Purdue presents one huge problem to <laughs> Bama that is. Zach Edie and the ability he has to draw fouls, as Chris mentioned. And Bama doesn't have a ton of front court depth. So, like, they, he got Pringle out of the game. He got Waggy out of the game. He got Nelson. Like, you can't really put Nelson on Edie. That was just too easy. And Edie, to his credit, 11 11 from the line. That is for a seven foot two big, That's that's incredibly impressive. So, I don't know. I think with Purdue, they are definitely of like the top five to 10 teams in the country. I think they have the most like glaring weaknesses still. Like they're still bad against pressure. Like that, they're still bad against pressure. I don't think that's going to change as the year goes on. Uh, but at the same time, so skilled. Like if you get Braden Smith, if you're running drop coverage on Braden Smith, it's like that. It's a new move, buddy. What are you doing? You're just asking him to rise up over you. He had 27, uh, eight assists. He played an excellent game. Like he, their guards are still like a problem. But yeah, there's there's definitely some weaknesses with Purdue, but It's still a really good basketball team, man.
1: Josh, I'm curious your thoughts on like, yeah, uh,
0: um,
1: yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say so, <laughs> Purdue, go ahead, you're good. Zach Eady is number one on Evan Maya and in indispensability, and it's not even like remotely close. Like, they're not good when he's on the floor. And so, I, how long term, what are your, the concerns with Purdue? Like, if, if Zach Eady gets into foul trouble one game. I mean, that's, that's real problems in March for them.
0: Yeah, um, I think you worry about that because it changes who they are. Um, you talk about 80, just like kind of a foul machine. I think i seen a stat yesterday where he's averaging like 10.5 fouls per game being called on him, you know, against him, however you want to say that, where people are guarding him. He's averaging drawing 10.5 fouls per game because what the hell else do you do? It's not like you've got Yao Ming out there that can just man him up one v one. If he goes out for any extended time, and they have to bring, and I really like like a Trey Kaufman, Ren or one of those guys, but it's a completely different team. My, it's the same thing with Purdue. It's been the last couple seasons, and Michael kind of uh, alluded to it. It's their guards facing pressure. It's when you have defense or big guards who can get up after Braden Smith and especially Fletcher Lawyer, you can get up after them. They're turnover prone when that happens. And live ball turnovers lead to runouts and all that. So I do worry about the. It's going to be Purdue's backcourt the whole year. What what happens to Purdue is not going to be dictated on Zach Eady. It's going to be how their guards handle pressure. And right now, Braden Smith looks like he's taking that next step from last year to this year. Where, again, like you said, he can't be left alone. You go under and play drop on him, he's knocking shots down. He had a stretch last night where he hit like three threes in a row. Where Alabama sagged to try to play Edie off the roll, and he just stepped up and buried them. So it's going to be Purdue's backcourt is what's going to scare me. Is withstanding all that.
2: Yes, Purdue doesn't have like a dominant wing either. Like, they're running Lance Jones at the three right now. Kaufman, Wren starts at the four. I think he should be their backup five. But like, first and Gillis, Colvin, Morton, they're all not giving you like a ton of wings. Like, they're just fine. Their guards are usually their second and third option
0: offensively. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know who was disappointing yesterday? It was Grant Nelson. And I know the matchups weren't particular in his favor, But he goes four of nine from the floor, two of seven from three. He did have seven rebounds, 11 points. Like, stat line-wise, if you look at that, you're like, well, he played an all right game. But I think in games like this, they bring him in for big games like this. They didn't bring him in to beat on Vanderbilt. They brought him in to beat Purdue to make further runs in the NCAA tournament. And I think he's going to have to do more. I, I know Mark Sears went nuts yesterday, but Nelson can't be tied on points with Wagyu. He just can't. They brought him in to be a 20 point score and two of seven from three in a game where they are, they're going to shoot a bunch. He has to hit them to pull their bigs away from the rim. He's got to do better than two of seven. He's got to probably take more and he's definitely got to make more. So I was a little disappointed in Grant Nelson yesterday. Aaron Estrada was a no show. Um, five points, five rebounds in 29 minutes. Their bench play right. Cell had nine Sam Walter six. He had a pair of threes. They got nothing from Pringle, nothing from Dubate, and they got one point from Jaron Stevenson. That's not going to cut it. They need their bench play to, to produce better. But on the Purdue side, man, I mean, Braden Smith's playing well. Zach Eadie's, of course, always going to play well. And Purdue just kind of does Purdue things. I think what this said, the reason I ask at the beginning of this, what this says about Purdue is you look at Alabama as a weakness, thinking that – well, fine. They can beat Alabama, but it's probably going to, have to be like a in the seventies because Alabama scores so many points. Purdue proves they can win shootouts. This yeah. is multiple times this year. Purdue proves they can win a shootout. So if Purdue's kind of taking that next step, then I think we're talking about a team that's in the Final Four. I, yeah. I just do. It's going to yeah. be interesting. It's going to be interesting.
2: They need fortunate draws if Purdue's going to make the Final Four. But one note on Nelson. I remember when Nelson was, like, about to enter the portal. Like, there was definitely some rumors around him, like, this guy's going to enter the portal. It's a matter of when, that if. And, like, the buzz was, like, man, this guy could be a first-round pick. This was, like, all the buzz. Like, and he's going to enter the portal. Like, uh, this is, like, one of the biggest news, like, things that'll happen in, like, the college basketball offseason. This was, like, later in the offseason. So I remember we got on a show, and I asked Chris about it. And he was, like, um, you can, like, pump the brakes a little bit, pal. Like, give your fucking head a shake. Uh, Chris watched him play in the summit. I'll let Chris speak to it more, but uh, yeah, I think as soon as like I, I after listening after listening to Chris, I definitely watched some like film on him, and I was like, yeah, Chris is probably right.
1: Yeah, the the thing about the summit league is is defense is truly optional. None of those yeah. teams play a lick of defense. Uh, I've I've seen yeah. him live a couple times in that league last year, and I mean, yeah, he's really good, but against I didn't know how he'd translate against truly you know, top competition, and we've kind of seen it here where. I don't know, still a little up in the air on if he can be dominant at this level. Um, we'll see, but I, I didn't really, if like like you said, if Alabama expected him to be a 20-point, 15-point scorer in these games, he's not the guy. I just don't think he, he has that in his bag.
0: That's interesting because I think the general consensus was that uh, you got this guy that's basically seven foot, can step out and shoot and hit threes, could put the ball on the deck, that this is what they brought him in for. And now you're saying opposite. That's interesting. Something we're to keep an eye on. Because after seeing that, I can see what you're talking about, though. Because it's like he shied away. Especially going back to the Clemson game, too, even a couple weeks ago. When the game gets physical and he has to man up, he's not really ran- or answered the bell yet. Yeah. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on, too. Like the physicality of stuff, he's just not up for right now. He wants to play pretty basketball, pick and pop, slip. Get the ball in an isolation, drive baseline, you know, kind of like that. But maybe, maybe the deal is to play them physical. But Purdue putting 92 up on Alabama. Um, I think it showcases Purdue is definitely head and shoulders above everybody else in the Big Ten, but they're gonna be there at the end. It just depends, like you said, DeRosa, um, the draw in the tournament. Let's go to another Big Ten SEC showdown here, where the Tennessee Volunteers held home court there in Thompson Bowling Arena, beating Illinois 86. 86- 79 Illinois coming off the big win in Madison Square Garden. We talked about last week when they beat FAU. Illinois 35.4% from the field, 25% from three, going nine of 36 from three. Tennessee didn't shoot a whole lot better, 45% from the floor, 33.3%. But if one thing stood out to this, this was a vintage Tennessee performance where they relied heavily on that defense to slow Illinois down. Um, So on this one, Tennessee coming in struggling, losing three in a row or three of their last four, Illinois coming off of a big win. What's to say about both teams to you guys?
1: I'll take the Illinois side where I'm I'm actually really high on Illinois. I I had them, I think, 11th in in my ranking going into uh, this week. I think they're a really, really good team. But when Domask or Shannon, or in this case both, have an off day, they don't really have a way to combat that. Uh, Domask and Shannon went seven of 27 from the floor, one of 11 from three. Um, they just don't really, it, it's Gurrier, Hawkins, Domask, and Shannon, and no one else really contributes. Ty Rogers started at the four and he didn't take a shot in 21 minutes. Um, they're very reliant on their top four. And that's I mean, that's always problematic, right? Is that if you're so reliant on some guys, sometimes they're just not going to be on that day. And that's what we saw here.
0: DeRosa, yeah. if Quincy Guerriere is your leading scorer, Illinois is probably not winning a whole lot of ballgames, unless Shannon and Domask have like 15 to 20 apiece that night too, and it was just a case of Guerriere going nuts. If he's going to be your leading scorer, Illinois is probably not winning a whole lot of ballgames.
2: Yeah, I don't think Quincy Guerriere scores 22 points at any point for the rest of the season. I feel like this Mm-mm. is going to be a season high. Um, they are so reliant on their top two being uh, Shannon and Damask. I don't think they have like a consistent third score, honestly. I just really think it's those two. So you're going to need Damask to be like excellent. And Terrence Shannon is excellent. Uh, That said, Tennessee just kind of has matchups for him. Like they have those athletic wings that can like, they can throw multiple guys on him that will cause him problems. Like that's why I didn't love Illinois in this matchup. I just think Tennessee matches up pretty well with them. And I think with Damask, same thing. like they have multiple athletic wings that they can throw on both of them. And if you're making Coleman Hawkins beat you offensively, let him do that. Let him try. He'll it's not going to work. That's just not that's not his game. That's another take for another day. Um, yeah, I just think they're really reliant on those two. and I think there's a ceiling with those team, this team because of it, but at the same time, if TJ Shannon's going for forty on any night, they can beat absolutely anybody.
0: How about the balanced scoring of Tennessee, too? All five starters and double figures, they played eight guys. Everybody scored. Everybody played at least 15 minutes. So it looks like Barnes is starting to tighten that rotation up to about an eight-man rotation. To have three guys off the bench play at least 15 minutes or more are pretty impressive, to be honest, because normally it's not that high. Uh, Jemai Meshack nine off the bench. Josiah Jordan-James. What I, what I love about this kid, and I've loved it for the three years prior he had been there. What he does is not always going to show up in the box score. Last night it did. 12 points, six rebounds, seven assists. But what he does is like an anchor, almost like a quarterback on the floor. He's an outlet when they need an outlet. He can handle a little bit. He's got got an okay shot on him. He's never going to be like a 35% shooter from three. But he can shoot a little bit if open. He does so much. I mean, he played a team high 34 minutes last night because Barnes knows he has to stay on the floor. Josiah Jordan-James is like the definition of a glue guy that's not going to get the love that a Dalton who had 21 last night, continues to score in an incredible clip. He's not going to get that type of love, but they don't win games without JJJ on the floor, and I think Rick Barnes knows that. Vascovia had 12, Zakai Ziegler 11, uh, Dalton Neck, of course, 21, and then the big man Jonas Idu, 14.7 rebounds. So, balanced scoring from Tennessee and great win. They relied heavily on that defense, but do you guys agree with me? They need JJJ on the floor at all times, if possible to be their best version.
1: Oh yeah. For me. Um, He just, yeah. Like you said, he just does so much. He went three of 10 from the floor. That's not, I mean, it doesn't jump off the page, but when you watch the games, it's so clear that he just does so much on both sides for this team Um, off the ball on offense. Yeah. He opens up a lot for other guys. And then defensively, I mean, he's locked down. So, yeah, I, I really like his game, and he's uber important.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think he is just incredibly, like, vital to what they do. They need – and, like, defensively, he's just another long wing. You could throw on multiple guys. He's incredibly switchable. He can guard one through five. He's got to – like, when his jump shot is hitting especially, he's one of the toughest matchups for almost just about anyone in the country, especially pairing him next to Dalton Connect, who is – maybe the toughest matchup for any like wing in the country. I mean, that dude is special offensively. He just kind of adds more versatility to this team. And I think they really need it. And like, you're not getting like, at least comparing him to his replacements, Meshack and Ganey. Well, they bring a lot to the table. They don't bring what uh, JJJ brings to the table. I just think it's so different.
0: Completely agree. Let's move on to the number one team in the country in the ECB and AP top or in the AP polls, Arizona. They stopped a red hot Wisconsin team dead in their tracks, 98 73 out in Arizona. Look at these numbers. Arizona shot 58% from the field, 46.2% from three. Arizona's never had a problem with offensive end, but they figured out how to play defense, apparently, this year. We talked about when they beat Duke, we've talked about in other games. Arizona looks scary right now because what don't they have they got good guard play they've got explosive wings they've got tremendous big men they can shoot they've learned how to defend now arizona looks like an absolute unit right now your guys thoughts on the wildcats
2: i'll go first because i'll let chris poo-poo this parade afterwards this is the best team in the country right now uh, I don't know how many times a team wins a title in November, December and ends up winning the actual thing. So, like, I'm not trying to say if they're the surefire national title pick. Please put all your money on Arizona. It's guaranteed. Uh, but they're the best team in the country right now. I think that's fairly undebatable. Honestly, I don't think there's anyone that really like represents like a severe challenge to them, at least at this point. Their starting five is just so good together. They're so connected. I was texting Josh about this, but I feel like I'm ready to say that Tommy Lloyd might so I, just be yep. a better
0: coach than Mark Few.
2: Like I really I, feel
0: like I'm ready to say that. And I told you, I think I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you.
2: Like, this team is really good. They, they Everyone knows their role. They're using Caleb Love, like, exactly how you need to use Caleb Love. They don't need him to be the main ball handler offensively. Kylan Boswell can do that, and Kylan Boswell has been really good this year. He is, like, a legit point guard. He has really showed up. He has really developed. Like, I think he's only 19 as a sophomore. He's really young, at least for a college basketball player. Uh This kid, I mean, he is really developing. He is – I feel like he is something. Um, Just nine assists yesterday, two turnovers – for a young point guard, two or five from deep, only four or ten from the floor, but I have really high expectations for him. I think he has—he's the perfect guy to put next to a Caleb Love, so Love can be that scorer. He can be that true combo guard that he really is, and I just think it fits his role so much better. He shot Johnson, length defensively, same with Pella Larson, just efficient offensively, four or four from three. I mean, they diced this Wisconsin team that was coming off of honestly, like ever since they lost to Providence, they ended up losing that game by thirteen, but like it felt like more. They've looked really good. Like they beat the piss mm-hmm. out of Virginia. They beat like, they didn't just beat Marquette who I had top of the big East. You guys both had second probably think is a top 10 team. I feel like you'd agree on
0: uh, top they six.
2: Beat, yeah. They beat Marquette wire to wire. That was not a yep. game. Wisconsin smoked them the entire time. And they come down to Arizona and Arizona beat the piss out of them. I mean, they defended incredibly well. Wisconsin, was ten of twenty one from three, but like it didn't feel like that. Like by the time Wisconsin started hitting, this game was already over. I mean, this was a dominant performance from Arizona. They looked as good as advertised. They were scoring it well. They have just such great balance offensively. This and this then, was a and the, the their,
0: their rotation. He's kept it for pretty much eight the whole year so far. He's got eight dudes that he just rolls with, and they just kick everybody's ass right now. Chris, how about this? We talked about offensive numbers, right? I gave you the field goal percentage, three-point percentage. Just go down the stat line and look how dominant they were. Like, they didn't shoot free throws well, right? They 16-26, to but they outshot Wisconsin 26-8 to at the foul line, or got there that many times, tucked that many. So they're getting to the foul line. The balance, again, they don't turn the ball over. Seven turnovers. 19 fast break points, 42 points in the paint. So you're talking about a team that shoots the three well. They're getting to the foul line. They're running in transition and scoring. And, oh, by the way, you make a play in the half court, they're going to put 42 up in points in the paint in the half court. What? How do you beat them? Like next well, week's game when we talk about it, like on Thursday show, they're playing Purdue in Indianapolis next Saturday. you talking about one crazy matchup. But Arizona, Chris, how the hell do you beat this team?
1: Well, it's a great question. They've looked really good um, on Evan Maya. Their starting five, so Ballow, Boswell, Johnson, Larson, and Love, is the second most uh, efficient five man lineup in the country. Uh, they're, their starting five is fantastic, but um, they still do weigh a lot on Caleb Love, and uh, he hasn't been as erratic because he has in the past, but he's still Caleb Love. And, um, and, and so, you know, if, if you, if you force him into tough shots, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't love trusting Caleb Love to win a national championship. Just don't. Uh, Omar Balo is really, really good. That being said, he is a lot more physically dominant and, and a little bit more athletic than the likes of, uh, Wisconsin's bigs wall and, and, uh, what Crowell down low. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how Ballo looks down low again. And, and the, well, this is the thing with Duke, right? Too is they don't have an awesome, awesome big because Philipowski obviously is awesome, but he's what, 6'10? Um, yeah. 6'10", I want to yeah. see how Arizona looks against the team with a dominant, dominant, a true center.
2: So, so if they, they beat Purdue next have Saturday. One? Yeah. Yes.
1: If they beat Purdue, I will have them number one, but we haven't seen it yet. So yeah. we'll see.
0: That's going to be. It. I think Boy, one I thing I close. wanted to
2: note on this Arizona team too, and one counter to Chris's point that these both go hand in hand. They had 26 assists on 35 made buckets yesterday. That's moving incredible ball. ball movement. And I think the most erratic part of Caleb Love was that he would just try to isolate and just like, yeah, I'm just going to isolate. I'm better than the guy guarding me, and I'm just going to chuck something up. If they have 26 assists on 35 made buckets and they're moving the ball that well. I think that puts Caleb Love in a role that much more suits his game rather than him just trying to like, and he can isolate to his credit. Like he is a good ISO scorer. but when he's doing it consistently, it, it, eventually the shots, the shot quality just really dips versus when he's just doing it like in spots, like they need a bucket late shot clock. I think that fits
0: him really well. To, and the, to put a bow on this, to go back to your coaching comment, it shows Tommy Lloyd gives Caleb Love freedom. But also reigns him in where Hubert Davis would just like, eh, go ahead, do your thing. So, again, just another point for Tommy Lloyd there. So, instead of going through all these games, we're going to rapid fire them here. Any game from the last two nights here on the weekend that you guys want to talk about, and I'll start first because I have a mini rant, a mini rant. It's a more of a concern, um, and that I know a lot of people don't share with me, but some do. So, Kentucky plays Penn and uh, I can't even think of this, the freaking uh, Philadelphia. Why can't I not think of Philadelphia? They played Penn in Philadelphia where the Sixers played uh, yesterday. They went 81-66. On the surface, it's like, all right, good bounce back win after a bad loss last weekend in Rupp Arena. I'm concerned. Now you're probably going to think, well, they won by 15. How are you going to be concerned? They go 8 of 20 from the three-point line, 40%, continue to shoot at a high clip. 5 of 10 from the foul line. They out-rebounded Penn finally. I think it was like one of the first times we've out-rebounded somebody this year. Aaron Bradshaw was tremendous. 17 points or 11 rebounds in 29 minutes. I think he had three blocks and he was like plus 18 on the floor. He was awesome. He looks the part. He he hit a three. But my concern is Cal's going to screw this up. He's going to screw this up. Because if you watch, go back to Wilmington last week and watch yesterday, there is – Multiple possessions where he plays Aaron Bradshaw, Trey Mitchell on the floor together, which is awesome. Both can play outside, can play, can shoot the three, all that. But he's posting up Aaron Bradshaw and clogging the damn lane. And uh, there was possessions when he had Bradshaw in one post trying to isolate on a post up, and then Mitchell on the opposite block, two guys on the block. Why the fuck are we doing this? Why? How do you watch the first like seven games when we're putting hundred points up on teams? Five out, beautiful basketball, passing, 26 assists on 35 made shots, moving the ball, zip, 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 and you bring back a guy who is going to help your team tremendous with the length. He can play in a five-out system, but you want to go back to making him a freaking Hakeem Olajuwon or Patrick Ewing. There's op- Obviously, there's opportunities that you can dive him in the post. He shouldn't always play on the perimeter. But there's ways out of five out where you can have him pass, slip, and then go down a post-up. Not just straight post-up. And if you do, get Trey Mitchell out of the lane. Get him out into the corners. Because there's little driving space now, especially teams like Penn who's going to pack it in and play half court. There's little opportunity for passing and moving. And the guys, you could tell on the floor, they're not zipping it at a hot rate like they were. It's like they've been told, hey, Bradshaw's got this isolation in the post-up. Let's feed it into him. So now if he doesn't get the post-entry and they're told to throw it into a post-entry, by the time we have time to do anything, there's five seconds on the shot clock. We have to force something. I'm more concerned. I was so frustrated yesterday with what I was seeing. Didn't care that we won by 15. I did not care that the Cats won by 15. I'm looking ahead. And the Carolina next week is going to be a little different because Carolina is going to run up and down. But what happens when you get an SEC play and you play a Tennessee or you play an old Miss who's going to keep you in the half court. Is it going to be more of this? It's like, why would you watch a team that's averaging 94 points a game that's fast and free and spread and all this driving space to go back to this antiquated, two guys in the post, let's post, straight post up. And I'm fearful Cal's going to really fuck this up. And that's not on Aaron Bradshaw because he was tremendous. He played with a lot of edge, a lot of passion, he was diving on loose balls, but I'm afraid now after two games that Cal is going to fuck up a team that can be really, really special. There, ran over.
1: Um, I guess, uh, you know, Penn's big guys, Cam Thrower, Nick Spinoso. those guys aren't – spinoso 6'9", he's their starting center. So I I understand why you see a matchup and you're like, hey, 7'1", athletic – physical big versus Spinoso, who's undersized and not athletic. Maybe we just try to force feed it a little bit, but yes, uh, Kentucky certainly looks a lot better when, when they just go five out and have good spacing.
0: And yeah. still shot the three about 40%. We're averaging like 42% on the year. So we still hit them, but this team's got to take more. When we were scoring the hundred points a game, we were averaging like 31, three point attempts per game. Now in the last two since Bradshaw came back and Cal got his seven footer back, we're averaging like 20. There's right. obviously if you take if you take more, there's an opportunity to make more. And if you just made, let's say we took 30. We went 8 of 20 yesterday. Let's say we took 30. You give us an extra let's say 12 of 30. That's an extra what? Uh 12 points there or whatever. The game's completely blown out. We score 90 points again. That's why taking more for a team like this is more important. Because if you take more, chances are with a good shooting team like this, you're going to make more, which means more points. I, I just, I don't like it. I'm hoping it, it it's an anomaly to get Bradshaw back in the flow of things. But if he goes back to this old bullshit again and screws this up, I'm done with it.
2: Yeah I I think it's going to take time for Cal to like fully like get used to his roster and you want to get Pratcha back in there but I remember when there were people like I remember watching I believe it was like some of the Kansas games some of the like all the big Kentucky games and uh, you'd see like um like the Jay Billis or whoever was on call be like man this team looks good but wait until they get back their two seven footers and I'm like pump the brakes a little bit it's like (laughs) pump the brakes a little bit you can't like Even if you want to run, like, I think in spots you will have to run Mitchell and, like, a Bradshaw or a Big Z if he ends up ever getting eligible on the floor at the same time. And I feel like you're going to have to, like, kind of use Mitchell in the high post, which I think is kind of where he's best. You can almost space him out to the three a little bit, but, like, mainly in the high post. And then just, like, high lows to Bradshaw if you really want to get it there. But, yeah, I think it – I think there's definitely like – I think it was like a pump the brakes. Like be careful what you wish for because there are some negative effects to a team that was flowing and doing five out. Now you just kind of completely change their identity. I think I and heard- you don't
0: have to. That's the thing. Like when Ugo comes back, he can't play five out. You have to post him up, which scares me even more. But with Bradshaw so athletic, play him on the pick and pops. He shows he can hit the three. Like you don't have to post him up like it's 1984. You can, and I'm saying you should at times to, like, a create a mismatch. But to him to immediately sprint down to the block and call for a post-up, like, come on. Playing five out, slipping, popping, keep the offense moving, hot, hot potato the ball. That's where Kentucky's their best, and that's where they can win a national title. I firmly believe that if he would play that same style with Bradshaw, Kentucky can win a title. We're going to talk about tears. But, boy, it's just two-game sample size. Has me scared Cal's just going to die with his old ways. Let's move on from that. That's my rant on them, uh, which is crazy in a 15-point win, right? Um, shows how the, my uh, my coaching brain never turns off. It, it just never turns off. But we'll go to you guys. Talk about some of the games, Rapid Fire, that stood out to you yesterday. We had a couple other big-time games. I know a top-10 team went down. So whoever wants to take the floor first.
1: Michael, I know ahead. where
2: you're going. Just talk about it.
1: Uh yeah, I'll go there. Utah beats BYU in uh, in a big rivalry rivalry game in the state of Utah. Utah looked fantastic again. It's put up forty five on BYU in the first half. Uh, kind of led them back into the game. fouled two three point shooters while they're shooting uh, in the last minute of the game, which kind of made it a lot closer than uh, it, it should have been. But we'll get to the tiers and I'll, I'll put in Utah in one of the higher ones. I think Utah is really, really good. This is a team that had 14th in the country going into this week. I'm not going to change that opinion now after they kind of dominate BYU, especially in the first half. Um, And then Michael, Josh, what do you guys – like? getting away from Utah, because I could wax poetic about them for hours, what do you take away from that game on the BYU side of things?
0: That they – I don't want to say finally played competition because they've played a couple of good games, but this is what I expect from BYU. Like people, you know, they were number one in the net rankings. I think they've got up to like number one or two in Ken Palm. Analytically, the people loved them, but I'm still very skeptical. And Utah gave them kind of a sample size of what they're going to see night in and night out with the big 12. Um, Utah got physical with them. Utah spread them out, and hit shots. And they're going to see a whole bunch of that. But even with better talent, when you play like Kansas and Texas and all these. So I think BYU is going to be a tournament team. But all the people that fell in love with them analytically, I even seen one bracketologist had them like a one seed. I'm like, a one seed? Come on. Um, I mean, I don't think they're a bad team. But if they don't hit their three, seven of 30 for 23%, they ain't beating too many teams if they don't hit from outside.
2: Yeah, in the most ranking top 25 poll we submitted, I had BYU at nine. Um, that was more so a function, well, at least not more so. That was quite a bit of a function of like, I think there's like a definitive top like five. I, I have Baylor at six right now. I think I'm fully okay with that. So we'll say there's like a definitive top six, Houston seven. Like, I feel like they've earned that spot. But like, even then I feel like Houston's like a tier back from the rest of those teams. So like, I feel like there's like a definitive top five or six and there's like a strong gap to me. And I think BYU was atop that gap. I'm still going to have BYU as a top 15 team. I still really like this team. I thought one thing Utah did really well was they made BYU like have to score in isolation a lot, at least in the first half. In the second half, BYU found an offensive flow. Uh, they were really like, what I love that BYU does is they use Khalifa, as the big man, who's like kind of – he's fine. Like he's nothing special, but they use him as a passer like really well. Like they just run a lot, ton of like curls and like ball screen like GHOs off of him, and they use him. He is a very good passer. They use him perfectly. I do not think Khalifa would be able to almost play on any other Big 12 team, and he looks good for BYU. So I really like – I think they're a really well-coached team. Their offense is so pretty to watch. But if you make them have to score one-on-one against you – I think they're going to struggle. And I think Utah did an excellent job of that. Utah is a very well-coached team. Like, Craig Smith is an excellent coach. And Gabe Madsen was hitting shots. I think Utah is a very good team. And I think they played an incredibly smart game against
0: uh, BYU. Derosa, go to another game you want to talk about.
2: Yeah, so I don't want to be like – I watched a lot of this game because I had a fairly substantial bet on this team. So I don't want to be like a dick because we talked about it a lot in the last show we did, but –
0: Auburn smoked Indiana. They smoked
2: them. <laughs> Auburn.
0: Was- Boy, I was wrong. Yeah. I was yeah. wrong. I was right about one thing though, but I was wrong about the. You, you nailed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was wrong about prediction though. Damn. Yeah.
2: I my biggest bet of yesterday's slate was Auburn uh, against spread. They covered that with ease. Uh, I think it. I think it's very clear. Like this team. I remember watching like their first game. It was against Baylor and I really liked Baylor this year. I mentioned I have Baylor top six right now. I, I really liked Baylor coming into the season. That might be like the one team I've been right about coming into the season. Um, Auburn, as soon as I watched that game, I think my cap on Auburn, when we did our sec show, Josh, you were on that. Actually, I think I said like, they don't mm-hmm. have a ton of depth and like their length kind of concerns me. I watched them play one game. It's like, Holy shit, DeRosa. That is an awful take. You are like dead wrong. It's like, I watched that one game, and for the most part, you don't want to overreact to one game. That one I watched, and it's like, all right, this was my reasoning for why I didn't like Auburn. This is completely wrong. So, like, I had to, like, switch up immediately. I really like this Auburn team. I think they're a top five SEC team, I think, is where you had them, Josh. I think I agreed with you. Easily, easily. They're really good. Uh, I think Aiden Holloway, the one concern with them is he kind of goes, like, he kind of goes Caleb Love mode last year when it gets in the clutch time but he's a freshman and he's a really talented freshman. I think he's going to settle in and they've got such good length defensively and a team that can defend long inside and have multiple guys that can put on a killer is going to absolutely dominate Indiana. Indiana has, they cannot hit a jump shot and they're barely anything from the high post. It is just layups, free throws. That is all they can do. Indiana is severely limited. And I think a team that can attack those limits like an Auburn can is just going to blow the doors off of them. I don't think Indiana is a tournament team. And I think Auburn's a top five. I think they're like a five, six seed around this time. I think that's a really good team and they're going to cause problems.
0: How about Auburn 14 of 29 from three. Yeah. And they got four combined points from their two interior big guys and Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell gave them four points. But they combined for 15 rebounds. I mean, the the potential balance and depth in this team. You talk about Aiden Holloway, 24, uh, Jalen Williams, 24 points. Katie Johnson had a run there in the first half where Auburn outscored Indiana 42 12 after being down. The, our Katie Johnson kind of sparked that rally. He had 14 points, but he went off there at one point. Auburn's just a load when they get going. Especially, I mean, they're not going to hit 14 threes every night, but if they can hit like nine, 10 of them, Whew, boy, Auburn's a – they're a handful. SCC's loaded this year. They're absolutely loaded. Uh, a couple other scores I just want to touch on real quick. Oklahoma remains undefeated. They had Arkansas down big at one point, even got must, or ejected, and then Arkansas made a little run. But Oklahoma wins 79-70. That Oklahoma team can defend their ass off, and it's a, it's a vintage Porter Mosier-style team. Defensively great, good guard play, strong inside. They're going to be a factor in the Big 12 this year. They, With the way they play defense, they're going to be a factor on a nightly basis. Um, and then how about Gonzaga losing? The late night game, in and Saturday, early Sunday morning, Washington beats them 78-73 at home. I will say this, and I've been saying this after watching Gonzaga out in Maui. they have no depth yep. if they don't get good play from Nimhard and Hickman and Anton Watson, which all three were in double figures. They're in trouble. I don't think they can score well. They don't shoot the three well. Five of 18 again for 27%. They're shooting like 29.4 on the year. They can't score well. They're they're not deep. And when they play other athletic teams, they're in trouble. I'm standing by what I say because I don't buy St. Mary's either. I think this is the year somebody outside of Gonzaga St. Mary's wins that WCC. I just – I don't favor wow. either one of those teams. I, I don't. Good win for Washington, though. Former Kentucky press, or Kentucky player, Keon Brooks Jr., 17. Xavier Wheeler, 16. They combined for 33. Good – actually, great win for Washington. They needed that one. But I just don't favor Gonzaga. I honestly – you want a hot take? Yeah. I favor them so little this year. I can see a year where they end up with, like, nine losses.
1: I I want to be there with you just because I am not high on Gonzaga, um, but the West Coast Conference I just haven't been impressed with anybody. <laughs> but this they certainly could lose a couple a game to Santa Clara, a game to St. Mary's, whatever. But um, yeah, Gonzaga, you you hit it right on the head with the depth. Uh, Ryan Nemhard to me is a little bit of a weird fit in that system just because he's not a great three point shooter. He's like a 32% three-point shooter at Creighton on his career. And, and that's a system where you're gonna get a lot of open threes. Um Gonzaga likes to you know push the tempo and then hit transition threes. When Hickman and Nemhard are the guys shooting those transition threes, I'm not sure that is super successful. I don't know. Um the only reason no, they beat like, UCLA earlier is Anton Wanson went
0: 14 of 15 from the floor or something. Uh they're, they're just not that good. I don't know. I'm with you, and two things on that before we move on. Um, One, do you think Nimhard looked better because he played with a better team at Creighton? And maybe Gonzaga thought that he would be like his brother and come over and he'd be the star. So do you, one, I guess, do you think Nimhard was better because he played with Creighton? Or is this just who he's always been? And two, when you look at the West Coast yet again for like the 18th year in a row, Outside of Arizona, normally it's always that one. It's either been Arizona, UCLA, or Gonzaga. Obviously, it's Arizona this year. When you look at the West Coast as a whole, who's the second best team on that time zone? Because, <laughs> I mean, is it Washington? Is it Gonzaga, St. Mary, San Diego State, Oregon, UCLA? None of those teams look great. Like, San Diego State barely beat UC Irvine yesterday. And I know Irvine's actually a pretty good little team, but who's the second best team on the Western time zone? Outside of Arizona,
2: BYU, Utah, but that's Utah. a that
0: mountain. That's a
1: mountain think, time, though. are they? Yeah, yeah it's
2: mountain that's time. Weird. Uh, if I'm going to say one thing about Gonzaga, uh, the depth is something Chris and I've hit on at length, is why neither of us really like that team. Uh, when you look at the box score yesterday, Watson 40 minutes, Hickman 40 minutes, Nemhard 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's going to burn you in conference play if you're in a tough conference, and that's going to burn you in tournament play um yeah that's why i think they go after a naquan tomlin hard because they need depth like desperately um but yeah when i'm looking west coast geez um this is a take i still like oregon this year um they've been without biddle and dante for the last like decent stretch and i think the fact that they've been like pretty competitive in those games without those two guys they have no like when you lose your two best interior players You're gonna struggle inside, so they're struggling inside. But their guards have still looked solid. Um, I think when they get those guys back, I still think they're gonna be pretty good. Um, I think think Dante plays
1: six more games this year. He's just—I mean, his legs are done. I don't know.
2: I get burnt. I get burnt by this team
0: all the time, so it wouldn't surprise me to get burnt by him again. But maybe USC. Maybe maybe if Bronny and they finally get healthy, maybe USC is the second team. It's an interesting. That's what I'm saying. What the yeah. hell's happened to West Coast basketball the like last 15 years? It's one really great team and then a bunch of just yeah. eh, mm-hmm. eh. I mean, what's yeah. what's happened? It's not you know like California and Arizona and Oregon and Washington. All these states have incredible basketball players.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the West Coast basketball is just kind of So yeah, I don't that's know. my
2: Big 10 basketball now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. All the talents going to the Big 12, SEC, and Big East. Like all the talent. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, Let's move on, start wrapping this show up. Um, We're going to do, again, guys, I know normal listeners, like, oh, where's previews? Just being completely honest, this week's from Monday through Thursday, especially, it's a terrible slate of games. Like there's nothing preview worthy. Now, once you get to the weekend, there's incredible games. but So that's why we're not doing previews. We're going to start wrapping this up. We're going to do tiers. We've been talking a lot about being through the first month of the college basketball season. We're heading into Christmas season. And so let's go to tiers. And the way I've got this written down is we've got five. I know most people do three or four. We're doing five. And let's start with tier one being the teams who you believe are national champion good And I know that's probably going to be the smallest of the tiers, but just start firing some names out. I don't care how we do it. What teams, when you look at them a month in the year, can you look at and be like, yeah, they can cut the Nets down. They can cut the Nets down. Obviously, right, Purdue, Arizona, UConn. Who outside of that?
2: Those would have been my big three. Uh, I think I can add a Marquette. I think I'll add a Baylor. And then you said Kansas. Did you say Kansas in that tier? Maybe not, I, could add I don't think Kansas is in that tier. Maybe. That's like a maybe. Right. They're fringe. But I feel like those would – I feel like honestly so it's those three at this point and then like a definitive this, like step back.
0: So you think Baylor can cut the Nets down right now?
2: I, I think if I was forced to add teams to that tier, I would add Baylor. But I think if like I am just making it straight up and you just leave those three, I think I'm okay with that at this point.
1: Christy, or anybody
2: else?
1: I would add Creighton. Um, Their starting five is just as good as any starting five in the country. Dominant big man, really good shooters. I like them a lot. And then uh, I would also add, um, where is it? I had my list Um, Duke. I know they haven't looked great, but that, yeah, the talent's still there. They can figure it out. Give that team four months to develop. And heck yeah, I would be all over Duke in, in March.
0: That's interesting. I, I see. I look at Duke and think outside of Filipowski, Roach can score. But until Tyrese Proctor plays well or they get like a McCain or our McClain, I mean, or like a Foster to really step up, I think there's a ceiling on Duke just through the first month of the year. Um, all right. Well, let's go to tier two then, which is final four teams. And I think obviously this is a little bigger list. We're not going to re-say all the teams we said in national title. Obviously, we just assume that they're going to be in all these lists, right? Or, well, the main ones. So, let's add new teams to that. When you talk about Final Four, I think Kansas. That's where I would put Baylor. Yeah. I mean, call me a homer. Don't care. Kentucky's in there. Final Four good when they're playing at their peak. Um, damn, who else? Who else? Uh, n- name some teams off.
2: I'd throw UNC in there. I think if they get the right matchups, I think that team could make a Final Four. Uh, You just need to hope you don't go, like either Cadeau settles in or you don't go against like a huge like athletic guard. Uh, But if they don't, I think UNC can make that. FAU, I think you kind of have to throw in there. Mm -hmm. They made the Final Four last year, same roster. They could do it again this year, and they look good. Um, I would add Tennessee, Tennessee? Illinois,
1: and Utah. Those would be my three notable additions. You
2: can't make a no damn Final Four. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Why not? Why what what have you seen this year that makes you say they can't?
2: They lost to St. John. Their athleticism, they're at a disadvantage over most teams. If you can out-athlete Utah, especially on like a game that they have two days to prep for, like you don't give Craig Smith all the time to like game plan. If you can just out-athlete Utah, I feel like I'm gonna favor you. Like St. John's, for example. Utah's a better team than St. John's today. I think all of us would agree with that. That said, short notice, St. John's was just able to out-athlete them.
1: Well, and, and Michael, we've talked about this, yeah. but Josh, both of Utah's losses were in their MTE where it's back-to-back-to-back games. It was the second and third games of that stretch. Uh, they were without two of their better rotation players, which meant they, they played six players uh, for three games in three days. Not a lot of teams are going to be able to win like that, especially when you're not super athletic. So Keba was gone. Wiggins exact date was gone. Um, with those guys back, they haven't lost a the game. They've looked really sharp.
0: And by the way, I completely forgot on the tier one, I got to throw Houston in there. Houston can win a title this year. They're two But the, the way they play defense and they've got, I mean, LJ Cryer has been tremendous for them. Um, I, I would throw Houston in there. The final four teams. I like everybody we've said so far the Kansas and Kentucky and North Carolina and FAU and these different teams. I'm looking right here. Um, I think we threw, do you throw Illinois in there as well? Yeah, I think Illinois, Illinois Tennessee. Utah, Tennessee. Mm. God, I think that might be it off the top of my head right now, to be completely honest, because I'm looking at some of our polls and different teams. When you look at the Final Four, I think if you're talking about an outside shot, Miami, but there's something about them I don't trust right now. I don't trust them. Yeah, I don't trust them either to make a Final Four again. So, I think we'll cap it at that. I I think the Final Four teams will have it there. Now, let's move to Tier 3, which is teams that can make a second weekend, which would be Sweet 16. That's where I would throw a Miami in. That's where I think if they're playing their best – I know this sounds crazy. If they're playing their best, Clemson can make a Sweet 16. I I really believe – I think they can make a Sweet 16. I think a Wisconsin can make a Sweet 16, as we've talked about. I think that's where you would see like an Alabama. um, Even like an Auburn, Auburn Sweet 16. Um, So what's some other teams you guys have got? Texas maybe? Texas in the Sweet 16?
2: I would put Oklahoma here. I would, I don't Oklahoma. know if I'd put Texas here yet. I need to see Dylan to back. I do not like that team this year. I didn't have them. In my top 25. Um, I would throw
1: the, I would throw three mountain West teams in there. Uh, so yeah. New Mexico, uh, Colorado state, San Diego state, also from mm-hmm. the big East. You got to throw Villanova there. Providence yeah. there. Yep. Um, yeah. Did those we put a anywhere there. yet? Nope.
0: We have not. And yeah. i I think they could. There's some stuff that still scares me about Texas A&M. There, there's just – and I like this team a lot. I had them number one in the SEC rankings on Thursday. But there, uh, there's something about that tournament play, certain matchups that really scare me for Texas A&M. A team that can spread you out, that's athletic and can shoot and doesn't let the defensive pressure bother them. I just don't know if Texas A&M – like we've seen with Penn State last year in tournament. You get a team that gets red hot from three, Texas A&M can't really get in a gunfight with you on that. You know what I'm saying? So AM to me, would be borderline Sweet 16. What about somebody like – I mean, I know they lost yesterday, but what about somebody interesting? We see it every year. Do you think a Colorado State could sneak into yeah. a Sweet 16? 100%. They lost yesterday. They lost St. Mary's, though. But you think they can make Sweet 16? 100%. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: List of Mountain West teams, I think, could, could make a run, and they're certainly in that group. Um, Mississippi State, another interesting one. Tolu Smith would be back. Yeah, Tolu. Totally. Um, right now, they're not there. They've looked okay, but uh, with him back, their whole entire team changes. And so, I mean, he's a he's an all-SEC player, so uh, I would put them in there as well.
2: Have we put Ohio State in the tier yet? We have nope. not. Give me Ohio State here. We have not.
0: Oh. You like Ohio State here. Interesting. Yeah. I think they played okay. terrible
2: yesterday, but I'm willing to give them a pass on that. I still think this is a fine team. And, yeah, I still – I the guards can – guards win games in March. And when you have Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale out there, those two
0: can win any two games. Fair. I, I like that. All right, so that, that's our Sweet 16 tier. There was a team I was thinking of that I feel like that we – oh, USC. I think USC could make it here. Win help health, fully yeah. healthy. I think they could win two games and get to the sweet 16. All right, let's go to tier four teams that just make the tournament. Maybe get one win, but nothing further than that. I think to me, this is going to sound crazy. I think this is where you throw Virginia in. I think this is where you throw a James Madison in. Um, Texas Arkansas. A&M for me would be here. Arkansas. And, and it's crazy, right? Cause Arkansas has got this run of elite eights and sweet 16s, but I just, I just don't trust them. I think Ole Miss is here with what um, Chris Beard's doing. I think Ole Miss is a tournament team right now. So what's some other teams? You guys got some teams in the Big East? Is this where you throw St. John's at? This is Butler, right through maybe?
2: St. John's and Butler. Yep, Butler definitely here. I think they can maybe make the tournament. Uh, this is right throughout Florida. I think Florida, Florida yeah. Yeah, this is around like the Florida tier. Uh, yeah, Colorado? I. Honestly, Colorado, I, think,
1: yeah. uh, I think the Missouri Valley gets two teams. So, um, either Drake, Indiana yeah. State or Drake, yeah, whoever Indiana you want, State. or maybe Bradley.
0: Indiana State is yeah. good. They're
1: really
2: yeah. good.
0: They're so much fun. This is um, even – okay, going smaller now. I mean, it's one-bid leagues, right? But I love Milwaukee out in the horizon. I love Milwaukee. I think this is where you'll see, like, a Liberty in the NCAA tournament. Maybe win a game, but – Probably no further than that, if we're being honest. Um Trying to think off the top Virginia of my head. Uh, At- I think they might be in this next series we we're going to talk about. <laughs> I think they're going to be in the next one. I, have, I think Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest makes tournament. Yeah.
1: There
0: I think know. Wake, especially if Hunter Silas is playing well, I think that they can make a tournament. Um
1: This is where I put Gonzaga. I think they make Gonzaga, it. Gonzaga, yes. 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 Shall- yes,
0: I love that one. I think Gonzaga 100%. Obviously makes tournament, maybe wins a game, does not make it the second weekend. I love that Gonzaga shout. Um, I know there's some teams we're missing. I think Indiana, I know you guys said Indiana is probably not going to make the tournament. They're going to win enough games to make the tournament. They're going to win enough games. Same with Iowa. They're going to win enough games to get in the tournament.
2: Those two Uh, teams are not
1: They're not. Yes on Iowa, no on Indiana.
0: Those
2: teams are not better than Butler. And I think Butler is my bar right now. Those teams are not better than Butler.
0: Not right now, but if Indiana can get to, like, 21 wins, they're going to make a tournament. This is where Michigan State – we didn't even talk about Michigan State. This yeah. is where Michigan State goes. Tournament team, and that's about it. Yeah. because It's a win-a-game and- in
2: March, like, that he doesn't deserve. But,
0: yeah, yeah. Th- this is the tier for now. All right. Well, those kind of tournament teams. And then the tier five is teams we think they are just going to miss the tournament for one reason or another. Um,
2: Indiana, Iowa.
1: UCLA
0: UCLA would
1: be here I like it I've said from the before the season started I don't think this team's an NCAA tournament team they have shown me nothing that makes me think they are
2: yeah I I was too high on them entering the season uh yeah that's definitely like dropped down to me a bit Spencer uh, Spencer looks really good to his credit
0: but yeah I, I don't hate it that's boy, that's interesting um there are a couple others I was thinking of Xavier. I think this is where Xavier sure. falls. I think this is where Cincinnati falls. Even though I really yeah. like them, they just haven't played nobody. And I think they're going to just miss the tournament. Um, God, there's a PCU team. Maybe. team I was- yeah, no, I think PCU probably but- should have been a tournament team. I like them a little bit more than most, I think. Um, I think they'll make the tournament. I think this is where Oregon goes. I don't think Oregon's going to make the tournament this year. There. You know what I'm saying? I, I think this is where Virginia Tech would go. I think um,
1: where would we put Texas? Where would you guys have,
0: have Texas? Oh, shit. We didn't even say, did we? Um, I think Texas tournament. I think they're tier four. I think they win a game, but I don't think they make Sweet yeah. 16. Yeah, Does that, that makes feels, sense? I, it feels about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, there was somebody else in the Big Ten SEC I was thinking of, and I just went blank. Uh We said Iowa, we said Illinois, we said Indiana, Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State. Oh, this is where Michigan goes. I think they're going to win enough games to make it close to the bubble and Michigan just ultimately not makes the tournament. There'll be an NIT team, and I think Jawan Howard gets fired. Yeah, I think think
2: this was Jawan Howard's last ride, and he was really hinging on Caleb Love, and that admissions was like, you're not getting Caleb Love, and he's like, well, I'm fucked now.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is where Missouri goes. Sorry, I don't Chris. think Missouri
2: even gets close enough to the bubble. They look bad. I, I, and Caleb sometimes, out sometimes wow. they look
0: bad. <laughs> yeah. I think Caleb this is where I, I, this is gonna sound crazy. I think this is where Iowa State goes. Oh, I think they just miss a tournament. That's bold. I think right. they just miss it because Maybe. the Big 12's loaded this year. Adding those teams, they're loaded. And Iowa State, I know they put up whatever it was 99 on Iowa, but. Shit, we could get a team together and probably put 80 up on Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just give us shots and I can shoot. So, um, you know what I'm saying? So, it's going to be interesting when they have to play Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma, back to back to back to back, all that. So, um,
2: I don't think Kansas State's a tournament team.
0: I don't think Kansas State's a tournament team either. I think that's a great shout. I don't think I they're starting the pile of
2: good wins,
1: though. Like a, a win against Providence, Villanova, those will go. Yeah, was a long late. way. I don't know.
0: I, don't know. I will I say just, this, and I'm this is going to piss this is going to piss your guys' this fan base off. But if we were to take one of those teams that we had in a different tier and move them here, and meaning they completely fell off a cliff, I think Villanova is the most likely to fall into tier five to miss the tournament. I just, maybe, I don't love this team. I don't. They're so talented, it, so talented, but they're just mm-hmm. not used
2: properly. I think that's, honestly, if we're looking at just talent on the roster, I think that's a near top
0: 10 talented roster. Like just, I would agree. Yeah. I, I would agree 100%, but it's just the way they play. Yeah. It's the way they play. Oh, and I'll give you one more. Tournament team in Tier 4, St. Joe's. St. Joe's. You know uh, as what? Well, as well as Dayton. Both out of the A-10.
1: So St. Jones, St. Joe's at large? Yeah. Okay. I like no, that. No,
0: well, no. Maybe. Maybe they win the A-10 tournament, and Dayton has a good enough year they sneak in as an at-large. That might be more likely.
2: Fair enough. I see it. Jeez, um, this is where
0: – do we think Memphis is a tournament team? Oh, that's a good one. I think they are. I still think they're good, but, man, they're starting to expose yeah. their flaws, and especially Jordan Brown being off the team now. Yeah. Memphis, talking about Villanova, talented roster – Memphis has got a top 15 talented team as far as yep. just pure talent yeah. goes. Same with like a so team much like Arkansas. There, right? yeah, yeah. Same with Arkansas. So that's kind of it. I'm sure more teams, and this is going to be very fluid. We do yeah. this in a month from now. It's going to change title contenders, final four, and all this other shit, right? Teams will drop and raise and all this other stuff. And if we forgot teams, we apologize. <laughs> but um, it's gonna it, it be fluid. We might do this in a month from now. I think this is fun to do the yeah. tier rankings to see where everything changes. But the last tier I had for fun, of course, Peyton didn't show up today. I had tier six, which is the Louisville DePaul category for those who are <laughs> with, I don't think there's a tournament that they can make. I don't think if you created like the CBIAFGHEJK tournament, I don't think Louisville DePaul is getting invited.
2: Yeah, yeah so. Yeah. Let's go with high major shit teams. Throw West Virginia in there. They're shit. Throw a, a yep. Notre Dame in there. They're awful. Yeah. Georgetown sucks. Throw Georgetown. Seton Hall. Uh, Seton Hall could squeak their way into it. Vanderbilt. L-T- Vandy. Oh, my
0: God. Vanderbilt.
2: Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, LSU. Vanderbilt's going to find – they're going to win one game they really shouldn't late in the season that screws over some SEC team. I'm calling that now.
0: Some poor, uh, like – I already know who it's (laughs) going to be. It's going to be, motherfucker. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. There's Stanford
2: in here. Haas will be fired. He should have been fired two years ago. He'll be fired this year, probably in my mind. Washington, Mike Hopkins is a stooge. He'll find a way to fuck that up.
0: Oregon State, really bad.
2: How is Tinkle still of a job? Oh, my God. Oregon that State
1: one Sweet really 16 crazy. run just gave him, like, uh infinite years at Oregon yeah. State. Yeah.
0: yeah, Uh Where do we throw Syracuse? I mean, they're missing the tournament, they're, right? They're not a tournament team. They are not good. Bad.
2: Judah Mintz yeah. is going – I honestly think Judah Mintz is, like, a lottery pick level talent in this year's weak draft. Like, it's a really weak draft class.
0: What I about North Carolina a, State for, for our guy Trev who ain't here? He's on a family vacation or whatever, seeing like, the in-laws. Um, yeah, he's I'm a huge sorry, Carolina Trev, State fan.
2: They're not sniffing a tournament
0: yeah i don't know i don't know that's a weird one um i'd like to say they're in the tournament but yeah sorry trev i don't think right now through a month i don't think they're a tournament team. i'll
2: be wrong um i'd be happy to be wrong for you but i'm not i don't think i'm wrong
0: yeah, I, think, I don't think they're a tournament team. Boy, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again in a month. Um, anything before we get out of here, Dave? We're a little longer, but it's okay. We're having fun. Time flies. Um, anything you guys want to promote, you guys got coming up. I know you got the Dingo DeRosa podcast. You got some stuff coming up. Um, you guys working with ECB? <laughs> uh, anything you guys got coming up you want everybody to know about? Yeah,
1: uh, for me, we both uh, we both write for Road to the Garden, which is also yep. part of the House Enterprise um, grouping of, of, of networks. And so that'll be picking up a little bit with Big East play starting up. So check that out.
2: Yep, follow us all on Twitter. Josh is uh, JB. Of course, you follow Josh too, but like I'm the man. You follow me first. Come on. You hit my name first, <laughs> and then there's second and third. MD the Dream, that's me. Uh, he's C Dinga, which is C, the, and then Dinga. It's, pre- it's pretty complicated, but I just spelled it out for you. So you're good there. Yeah, follow us all on Twitter. We'll get that bump in at House of College Hoops. We'll def- I want to try writing some more about some like outside, like not just Big E stuff, but we'll see if I got the time to do that. Uh, yeah, just Dingo and De rosa. That's we're growing this entire thing. And sub to the ECB podcast
0: too. Good stuff. Rate I review appreciate- five charts. I appreciate the hell out of that plug. By the way, the way you said that, that sounds dirty as hell. See the dinga. <laughs> what the hell is the dinga? I like that. But I hope you guys <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of 168 of the everything college basketball podcast. Go subscribe to these guys, follow them. They're gonna be if I'm looking at my crystal ball, they're gonna be on here more, more down the road. So you'll get more of this trio. Plus, Trev, once we get past holiday, Trev and Peyton and Phil and the whole gang is gonna be back. We got a lot of college basketball. Make sure you're watching. Make sure you're subscribed and leave a five-star review. Check this out on YouTube when it comes out and all that good stuff. But until then, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we will catch you guys down the road.